0: This is Katie Maxwell and I'm Lauren Paris. We're your hosts of Voices of the Earth, a Faith in Place podcast. We explore the intersection of spirituality, the environment, and justice. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Voices of the Earth podcast. I'm Lauren Paris and I'm joined by my co-host Katie Maxwell. Katie, how are you
1: today? Hey Lauren, I'm doing great. How are you? Despite the cold here <laughs> <You're> in <laughs> Chicago, I am doing
0: well. Um, I am definitely ready for spring. It's around the corner, so mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to getting some fresh air and some sunlight. Um, yes, so we can thank goodness can for those hope.
1: brighter days, though. Yes, the sun definitely. is coming back. We've like passed that the darkest part of the year. Um. So that's always something I get excited about around this time of year, end of February, almost March, when we're recording. Yes, me too. I am super
0: excited, almost as excited as I am about today's podcast episode topic. (laughs) Um, We are going to be talking about natural burials today. Yeah, very, Mm -hmm. very fun topic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and just before we get into things, you know, we wanted to say that this episode is not meant to suggest that you buried your loved one in the wrong way, nor is it meant to pass judgment on you for your preferences or choices about how you want to die and how you want your body um, to be handled after your death. This is really just us exploring some different options, um, for, Burials, some more eco friendly options. And, you know, we feel like we're uniquely positioned uh, as a multi faith environmental org to explore this topic and also inform our listeners um, about the different options that there are. And, Katie, I don't know if you want to say more about that since Katie is, um, this is a topic of interest for her. She's been researching this topic over the last year. And I don't know much about this topic, other than I've always been interested in it. And death has always been death has always been a weird subject for me, just personally. I don't know. I feel like I get weird when I talk about death and when I think about my own death. Um, and so I have always wondered, how will I be buried? And I've always felt like I don't want to be buried the conventional way. So that's what sort of interests me in this topic. And Katie, I don't know if you want to speak more about your interest.
1: Sure. Yeah, I definitely agree that Faith in Place is uniquely positioned to talk about uh, options that we have and inform our listeners about the options that are available to us and options that may become available to us where we're located in Illinois and also for our faith in place um audience in Indiana and Wisconsin as well in the future uh because we being multi faith you know we have an opportunity to ask ourselves how do our end of life wishes um how can those become an extension of our faith practice and as an environmental organization i think we have an inherent environmental ethic. And every person, I would say, whether they're cognizant of it or not, also has some kind of ethic that they live by. And for many, that is an ethic that is tied to a religious or spiritual tradition. And for someone like myself, I see an interconnection between an environmental ethic and a spiritual ethic. So it's the topic is really interesting to me to kind of engage with those two parts of my identity um, and do some of that um, internal work of figuring out what is it that I want to have happen with my body when I die? And what does that mean for my family, for my community? What does that mean for the planet? Those are all things that I kind of ask myself um, in in thinking about the intersection of faith and the environment when it comes to death. And it's true. It's a really uh, uncomfy topic. And I think that's another reason why I want to talk about it is um, I'm going to talk a lot throughout the conversation about several different experts. One of which is Mallory McDuff, who wrote this incredible book called Our Last Best Act. And it's really her journey of exploring for herself what she wants to have happen with her body when she dies. And one of the biggest takeaways that I had from reading that book was that we don't talk about it enough and that we really need to. And so I'm coming into this conversation wanting to dispel some of the myths, create a, a safe space without judgment for wherever you are in listening to this conversation on your exploration of death and your death wishes or your family's death wishes or previous death wishes. Um, so yeah, just really have an open and affirming conversation about it. Thanks, Katie. That was
0: so well put. Much better than me saying that death makes me panicky and awkward.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a really natural um, place to be. A lot of people are uncomfortable with it. And I'm uncomfortable with it. Um, So it's sort of a process for myself. like. I think you and I have joked um, offline at times that the podcast is often um, something that we use to process things that we're exploring for ourselves, mental health, anxiety, etc. And um, yeah, I just want to affirm you in, in saying that talking about this topic is uncomfy and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for
0: that. Um, I'm definitely excited to get into it, though, and and learn more. And, you know, this topic really um, came up for me recently because it was Ash Wednesday. Um, and, you know, I was raised, I was raised Catholic. I identify as spiritual now. Um, and Katie, I know that you're Christian. And so, um yeah, just the the topic of Ash Wednesday and, you know, I feel like it, it ties in well with this. I don't know if you want to say more about that.
1: Yeah, sure. I, I agree. I think Ash Wednesday is a really fascinating holiday. For those who may be less familiar with Ash Wednesday, it is the start of the Christian season of Lent, which is the forty days leading up to Jesus's um, state-sponsored execution and then resurrection, so it's like honoring that um, that moment, which is the part of the central belief system of Christianity that Jesus came to save humanity and did that by dying and rising um from the dead for humanity's sins and tied into that are themes of like resurrection um regeneration um which is why ash wednesday for me is kind of like a cool um holiday you know it it's a very small holiday but it's important in the sense that it reminds people who practice Ash Wednesday or practice the season of Lent and not every Christian tradition practices Lent but it um, reminds us of our humanity and there's a sense of circularity there of like um, the the common thread is, Remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. So um, we can get into it more in detail later, but just want to uh, say at the top that it's a really interesting um, holiday to think about natural burial and how we're part of a larger ecosystem.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, with that, I just want to jump right into a few questions that I wanted to discuss with you, Katie. So we've, we've sort of touched on this a bit, but why is death an important topic to discuss and plan for? I think, you know, as we've stated, it can be an uncomfortable topic. It can be a topic that Many people sort of push off or procrastinate or don't want to think about because it can be morbid and a bit sad um, and overwhelming to really think about for many families. Um, but why is it an important topic to discuss and maybe you know, remove some of that fear um, mm-hmm. around the topic?
1: Well, I think you touched on it a little bit by talking about the sense of overwhelm or the uh, fear that families may have in talking through this with their loved ones. And I really think that that is born out of the way our modern burial system is set up. It's not the way that it has always been set up. and so it's i think it's important to like talk about how things have changed in the last 150 to 200 years um and i'll say two things about that the first thing i'll say is that the practice of embalming which is where fluids like formaldehyde replace the fluids that like blood that make up our bodies, they replaced that um, to help preserve a body for um, like an open casket um, service and for burial. And that practice started during the Civil War for Northern families to be able to bring their loved ones home um, following their deaths. And Around that time, you know, there were – and prior to that, there were a lot of home funerals that were happening. Home funerals continued to happen um, later than that, but that embalming practice really started a change away from um, what we now call natural or green burial to – which was just, like, the way people buried their loved ones. And to a more industrialized process, to a a way that is a lot more sanitized and separated, we don't often see what happens to a body when it dies. Um, Bodies are often whisked away very quickly. And I can share from personal experience that when my great aunt died, I was fortunate enough to be able to be in the room with her through her active dying process. But shortly after she died, the, um, mortuary people came in, we signed papers, and her body was whisked away and we didn't see her body again until, um, she was in the casket and we were at the funeral home. And the other thing I wanted to say about the way that people used to engage with death and and that has changed is I think this is an interesting fact that I learned on a podcast. It's probably my favorite podcast. It's called Curious City, and it's by um, WBEZ, the local Chicago NPR station. And they talked about how cemeteries used to be places that people would go and picnic at. Like they would take their friends and go and hang out in the cemetery, you know? Um, Yeah. And that seems really weird to us modern day listeners. Um, But I think it's indicative of how relationships to death and bodies have changed considerably, especially since the Victorian era, which was an era that I think was a little obsessed with death. Um, and now we're, we have a, a very different culture, one that, like you were saying, Lauren, is a lot more afraid of having these conversations and in many ways is also afraid of accepting our mortality. And so um, another resource that I want to shout out is this incredible book by Dr. Atul Gawande called Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End. And I read this a couple of years ago and then in the last year shared it with a dear friend of mine whose mother-in-law was uh, experiencing cancer and the mother-in-law was having a really hard time accepting the fact that she likely wasn't going to recover from her illness and I think that's such a common experience and it's one that Gawande talks about a lot in the book of what's the moment where we stop trying to use medicine to intervene with our very difficult uh, health diagnoses Um, and when do we start accepting our mortality and coming to terms with transitioning to palliative care, to hospice, Um, and how do we do that in a compassionate way? So I think a lot of the conversation around death should be one that is compassionate and should also be one that's honest about where we are in our particular, in the bodies that we inhabit and how healthy or not healthy they are and having those open and honest conversations um, with the people in our community who need to be informed about what we care about. and. So, I think that that is why it's so important. You know, it's not talked about. And that culture is something that has changed in the past and could change again, I think, for the better. And I hope that our conversation can be part of making that less, making death less of a scary topic. Yeah, absolutely. I think the more that people talk about it and
0: normalize it as a part of life, I think that that really takes a lot of the fear out of it and can bring people, um, you know, whether they're close to death or whether they're not, you know, just Mm -hmm. bring people some comfort um, around the topic and around facing, you know, that reality because, it is, it's a reality for everyone. It's something that we all have in common is that, you know, we're all born and we all die.
1: <laughs> we do. And I think I'm probably going to say this five times during our conversation, but we really need to talk about it and we really need to create a plan for what our um, goals and wishes are. And one way we can do that is by, it's not fun, but we can, if we have the ability and um, capacity to do so, to write out a will, like have a living will, but also um, to sit down and write out in detail what it is that we want to have happen during our death process, who we want to have involved, Where we want our body to end up. And that can actually provide a lot of clarity to family and friends who are naturally experiencing a lot of grief and stress. Um, And having that written out can really alleviate a lot of that um, stress for family because those things, those details have already been planned for. um, And one thing that you can use to plan that out is something called Five Wishes for individuals and families. I think this is a really helpful um, resource that you can purchase if you're an individual or maybe you're part of an organization like a house of worship, which can purchase this for you and um, provide it to employees or to parishioners. I first learned about it from a friend of mine, who is a hospital chaplain and was attending LSTC to become a deacon. LSTC, by the way, is the Lutheran school of theology on the South side of Chicago in Hyde Park. And, um, she led a death class on like walking us through our five wishes. And admittedly, I still need to really write that out for myself. Um, But it was a very powerful and memorable experience, nevertheless. Yeah, I feel like having
0: a death plan is so important. And in my personal experience, none of my family members who have passed away had death plans. And it truly caused so much stress on the family, especially if, you know, you don't come from From money. I think money is a big factor, unfortunately, in, you know, your death plans and your burial method and, and um, all of that, which we'll talk about a bit more later. But I, (laughs) I have learned from personal experience that I want to make sure to create a death plan, so that I can make it um, as easy as possible on my loved ones. And yeah, I just think that it's it's very important and it can relieve so much stress. And then, in you know, it's important for yourself, too, because unfortunately, um, when folks don't have a death plan, you, you don't have much say in what happens to your body, what happens, you know, with your money, what happens with your belongings um, and all of that, which can go south (laughs)
1: definitely it can definitely and i mentioned our last best act a little earlier in the conversation but want to mention it again too because mallory mcduff really frames the whole book around her personal exploration of her own death wishes and i think it can be an amazing resource for someone who's trying to figure out what they want to do, and is maybe looking for a guide, especially if you're someone who is interested in um, knowing more about different burial options. Um, She does a lot of the legwork for you. And then she also, it's so sweet She writes out a death plan for her daughters at the end of the book. Wow! I have to read this book. You really need to. I know. I'm. I'm. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm such an evangelist for this book, but I really think that it's a great place to start um, on this journey, and has been incredibly helpful for my own processing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um I think it's a great recommendation. I'm excited to read it. But for now, you are you are the expert here, Katie. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> I don't know about that.
0: <laughs> you're you're an expert to me. <laughs> um I know this is a very big topic and there's lots of information and complexities that go into it, but I am curious and I think our listeners would be curious for those who aren't familiar with what a natural burial is, what is considered a natural burial and you know, what are some of the different natural burial options? Because I know there's quite a few options. It's not just one method of burial.
1: Sure, I would be happy to dive into that a little bit. I think it's helpful to start by saying what natural burial is not, or by, in other words, defining conventional burial practices. Conventional meaning like what we use in a modern day sense, because as I said earlier, natural burial in many ways is what our ancestors did. So, Modern or conventional burial often involves embalming. It involves a casket that the body is placed into and then lowered into the ground surrounded by a vault or concrete burial liner, which helps to keep some of the elements out of the casket. And that vault may or may not have um, a bottom. Because there are traditions like the Jewish tradition and the Muslim tradition that actually require having connection to the earth. And I think that's a really beautiful environmental connection in burial practices. Um, Flame cremation is also considered a conventional burial practice because it uses fossil fuels in. Um, the cremation. It also produces airborne emissions. And under that flame, flame cremation category, I would say medical school donation falls under that. Um, McDuff explains in her book about um, how medical schools will embalm a body, and use it for research. And then when they're done with the research on that body, they'll then cremate the remains. Um, and I do want to, you know, be very clear that medical school donation is a really important um, process. And like, it has provided a lot of helpful insights into our bodies. And I don't I think that there's a lot there that could like derail us in our conversation, but I want to say that, like, if you want to donate your your body to medical science, wonderful. Also, note that there is a bit of a dark history with medical schools and bodies, um, but that is for another conversation. The other sort of related to medical school type of uh, disposition. And disposition is a word that I learned is commonly used around um, what happens with the body when you die. Um, and that is plastination. Um, plastination is adjacent to medical donation because it's a long process of turning someone's body tissues um basically into a preserved plastic so if you've seen like the body exhibit which came through chicago a long time ago um you might be familiar with what i'm talking about where you might see um a whole human like preserved or you might see up certain organs or different parts of a body preserved, and that can aid in um, research as well. So, those are sort of the conventional options that are out there, though, plastination is definitely a much smaller subset of that. Um, conventional burial is incredibly popular, and flame cremation is becoming increasingly popular. I think uh, Mcduff cited that it's meant to be, it's like expected to be 50 to 80 percent of um, what people request by the year 2040 compared to only being 10 percent of what the population did in the 1980s. Now, let's talk a little bit about what natural burial is. Natural burial and green burial are interchangeable terms and generally speaking it means that it there's minimal intervention to the body so a corpse would not re- be would not receive chemicals it, or it wouldn't have any kind of intensive use of resources in the disposition process and i really appreciate a definition that Professor Ben Stewart, who is a theologian and expert in the field of natural burial. He also happens to be a professor at the Lutheran School of Theology. And he says, The movement encourages care for the body without chemical embalming, committal in biodegradable vessels without vaults, a return to the elements done with care for the ecological integrity of the land, And normally carried out with encouragement for ritual participation on the part of the assembly. And that quote comes from one of his many essays on the topic of natural burial called Eco-Sacramentality of the Funeral. And I think it's really interesting to note the, the final piece of that where he talks about the ritual participation of the assembly He also talks about the participatory nature of uh, natural burial in another piece that he has written called Fault Lines in the Graveyard. And that piece I want to mention here because participation in natural burial is a part of the natural burial process where a lot of tension can arise. People who are burying their loved ones may or may not be Comfortable with the idea of how much is asked of them, whether that is helping to transport the body to the burial site, uh, putting uh, dirt on top of the body, um, a variety of different acts or rituals that are um, involved in a natural burial, specifically if it's a nat- if it's a burial that occurs in a cemetery, though there are different types of natural burial and different opportunities where the family would be participating in that. And so let's talk a little bit about what those types can be. So a common natural burial will happen in some kind of cemetery. And there are three types of cemeteries where a natural burial would occur. That means in a natural cemetery, which is fully designated to natural burial. It might be in a hybrid cemetery, which could be a a cemetery that has a portion of its space uh, designated for natural burial within a larger cemetery that is um, designated for conventional burials or it could be in a conservation cemetery. And a conservation cemetery is similar in nature to a natural cemetery, except that fees that are requested by the management of a conservation burial ground would then be used to maintain restoration practices of that burial ground, whether that's like, restoring a natural prairie or savanna. And uh, there's a really excellent resource for green burial in general called the Green Burial Council, which I highly recommend looking at um, to learn more and also to help you locate a burial ground near you that would align with one of these different types of cemeteries, they have a certification process that can tell you what kind of um, cemetery is available in your local area. So that is uh, one very common way to have a natural burial. Another um, related natural burial um, could be a home funeral. And I mentioned home funerals in um, toward the top of the conversation because home funerals are often what our ancestors did in the sense that they would bury, they would have like the funeral instead of taking the, the body to um, in my tradition um, a funeral home and then that transporting that to a church for a service and then transporting the body again to a cemetery for burial. Instead, the service would occur at home. The the family would participate in washing the body, in um, having people come and visit, and then the body would be buried um, after that. And there's really been a rise of this again. People are interested in having home funerals, and it's a big part of the natural burial movement, so that may include transportation to um, a nearby cemetery, or it may also include a burial in a family plot, or even in a backyard. Family plots and rural lot and rural plots um, in the country often don't require a vault, and McDuff um, talked a lot about that in her book as well um with regard to her family because her family also ha- had um some prior experience with natural burial um and then another type of natural burial is called alkaline hydrolysis which is also known as aquamation it's a water alternative to cremation and it is legal in Illinois where Lauren and I are located, though it isn't legal in Wisconsin or Indiana. Um, but that's an interesting alternative that has appeared in recent years. Another option is body donation. And this is a little bit different than um, medical like to a medical school donation, which I described earlier, in the sense that you can choose to have your body uh, sent to a lab that specializes in studying decomposition. And uh, that doesn't really cost you anything. It just means that you're donating your body to science in a way that – um allows your body to naturally decompose without any kind of embalming or cremation at the end of the process, because those labs are studying how decomposition happens. And that may be something that you're like a little uncomfortable with reading about it. I was a little uncomfortable with it. Um, And finally, a newer option, um, I guess you could say on the market, is something called natural organic reduction or human composting. And this type of natural burial um, is legal only in a few states, currently Washington, Oregon, Colorado, and very recently, California. And there is another variety of this that McDuff talks about called um, permesion which uses, um, freezing. And I think this is a really interesting alternative. It will be the, the thing about natural burial and burial practices in general is that this is a really evolving space and people, um, currently are advocating for policy changes so that, natural organic reduction can become more available or that um, alkaline hydrolysis can become more available um, in local areas. Because right now, primarily people have access to conventional burial, to um, cremation, and possibly a natural burial cemetery. Um, But these other options are a little bit less accessible, and depending on where you're located, legal or not legal. Um, I also want to say, too, that natural organic reduction or human composting, again, is something that might make people a little uncomfortable. Um, Envisioning your body turning from a body into compost, into soil... Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about that, I encourage you to look up Caitlin Jodi on YouTube. She has this incredible YouTube channel called Ask a Mortician, which is has been for me an excellent resource in general on understanding death—not just death, like natural burial ideas, but um, just the idea of it in um, as a broader topic and and historical, she has historical videos like videos about the Titanic and videos about what happened um to the the whalers who inspired the the novel Moby Dick. Um, but I mention her here specifically because I recently watched a video in preparing for our conversation, Lauren called Let's Visit the Human Composting Facility, which is a facility located outside of Seattle. Um, and it was really fascinating. And she does talk about how she and her friend who created the um, natural organic reduction facility are, are advocating for this to become more accessible as a more natural alternative to um, Traditional um, flame cremation because flame cremation has a lot of environmental impacts. And while it's very popular and accessible, um, I think there's a misconception that it is more sustainable than conventional burial. Wow. This is so fascinating.
0: Let's visit the human composting facility. That sounds like a fun night out.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, I watched it earlier today, and Caitlin basically, like, lays down in one of the the beds, and they talk a lot about ritual. They They show you how they prepare the body. And again, like, the thing that I keep coming back to – both with uh, spiritual tradition and religious tradition, but also beyond that, um, there's just, it with the whole natural burial movement um, and home burials especially, there's a real emphasis on the beauty of ritual, whether that's washing the body, preparing the body for burial in different ways. I just think that there's a lot of beauty to that and human connection.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that, I wanted to go back to something you said about the resurgence of home funerals. So, in order for that to be considered a green burial, um if they're be if they're burying a family member like on a family plot or in their backyard, would how, what is the process of cleaning the body look like? I don't know if you know, Katie, but does that include embalming or not?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So, if you're going to have a home funeral, you're most likely going to be asking family members, or you might be hiring someone like a death midwife. Um or death doula, if you asked a death doula to help you with your um, active death transition, death midwives often help post-death. And there's another great group of people called the Death Wives. They have a website and an incredible Instagram that they're run by a death doula and a green fuel funeral director. They're based out of Colorado. And so those professionals and or the family would be part of uh washing the body um like with soap and water that kind of thing um embalming would not be part of the process because embalming is um a process that helps to preserve the body and also um is often something that is the chemicals formaldehyde specifically and others um, are pollutants and cancer causing chemicals so they actually put the morticians at risk who utilize those though there are green alternatives that are formaldehyde free but in a home burial um a home funeral that would not be something that was utilized. So instead, the family would utilize um, dry ice to keep the body cold and um, basically to stave off decomposition for a few days before the body would then need to be transported to its final resting place. And when it's transported, uh, the body may be wrapped in a shroud that would be made of linen or uh cotton um or could be dressed in clothing that is made of natural fibers, anything that is essentially biodegradable and would not remain after burial
0: right, that makes sense. Wow. That's fascinating. Um, and okay. So you've sort of touched on this a bit with, um, talking about flame cremation and, um, a bit just now about the chemicals, um, the toxic chemicals it takes to embalm a body. So can you speak a bit more about that? Um, what are, what are some of the environmental impacts of these conventional burial methods?
1: Sure. So again, I'm looking to Mallory McDuff's book um where she talks very descriptively about this and one thing that she says about cremation is that for one body it produces 250 to 350 pounds of CO2 which equals a 1000 mile road trip and admits wow. mercury into the atmosphere. Um, when that happens. So that's just one person or one body. Um, I think that statistic is, is somewhat staggering. The annually, she goes on to say that U S cremations produce 250,000 tons of CO2 emissions, which is equal to 30 million gallons of gas.
0: Oh my gosh. I did not realize it had that big of a toll.
1: It wow. does. And on top of that, it's. she also points out something that I didn't really know about, but I think, again, kind of goes back to the misconceptions about cremated remains. A lot of people want to have their remains cremated so that they can then be spread in multiple different areas. Um, My grandpa, this is one of my earliest memories. My grandpa lived in the Bay Area and loved salmon fishing. And so we were able to get a special license to spread his ashes immediately under the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, And they don't normally allow that to happen. Um, So it was incredibly meaningful and for me and my family means that the Golden Gate Bridge and the Bay Area in particular is in many ways a very sacred space. And I resonate a lot with folks who also want to to have their bodies um, or their remains in a in a sacred space to them like that. Um, but what I didn't know is that unless you do that spreading of your ashes with what are called amendments, then you're actually contributing to like killing plants because cremated cremated remains or cremains, as they're often known, um, are alkaline. And the amendments will neutralize that alkalinity so that the plants don't die.
0: Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah, I, I know that that's very, you know, like my mom, for example, has said when, I, when she dies, she would just like to be cremated and have her ashes spread somewhere. But I've never really considered the environmental toll of spreading ashes. And it's complicated because as you said, I mean, people it's it's a very sensitive um ceremonial time and in topic and it's in practice and you know, so it's that's difficult to find the balance there because you want to make the burial um you know, you want to make the burial meaningful, um, to Mm -hmm. the person who has passed and you want to honor your loved one in, in a meaningful spiritual way, at least most of us do. But, um, but at the same time, you know, a lot of us want to care for the environment and, and do what's, do what's more sustainable and what's better for the collective. And so weighing those two
1: options, you know, can be difficult. Absolutely. And I think that it's just really important to have the information available to us so that we can make the most informed decision that we can make. And um, for those of us who are listening to this episode, and thank you, for first of all, for listening. But also, I think we are more likely to want to do the more, quote, sustainable option, but that isn't the only consideration to make um, when making our choices about our end-of-life plans. And so, again, I want to emphasize uh, a huge amount of compassion for you, at the listener, um, and wherever you're at, and figuring this out for yourself or honoring your friends and family members' wishes, because that there are other factors at play, and it may make more sense in your situation to do a cremation or to do a conventional burial, um, or if you have the capability um, to do. A, a natural burial instead which does have a considerably less um smaller impact on the environment and also a smaller impact on our wallets I think that it is um we there's a, a tendency that we could have in this conversation and focusing on, you know, the thousands of ton of steel or um, the carcinogens or the amount of wood that goes into a conventional burial um, or, you know, the cremation, like the CO2. But there's also an economic justice piece of talking about burial because conventional burials cost somewhere around $10,000, and most families are making like $50,000 a year, so the cost of a conventional burial is really staggering, and I think is why we also see a rise of when people you know, in our, um, I'm kind of going on a tangent here about our healthcare system, but not only is our healthcare system so expensive, but also when people die, um, they might not have the funds to bury them in a way that's accessible um, where they live. And then you see GoFundMe sites popping up to, to help support those, and I just feel so sad when i see those because i know how um overwhelming the cost of burying a loved one can be and and lauren you were saying earlier that you have personal experience with that
0: yeah yeah i definitely do and i and i was going to say i feel like it for many families it creates this sense of guilt because mm. you want to honor your family member and Um, the best way that you can, and for a lot of people, that means getting the fanciest coffin, and you know, getting a fancy tombstone and and or gravestone. You know, all of those things. And uh, when you can't afford that, it it really brings a sense of guilt. And then, in my experience, you know, a lot of families will. they will spend money that they don't have and put themselves in a poor financial position just to honor their family member in the way that they think is proper or best. And it's really sad. It's really hard. And, you know, you when when you lose someone, you just want to focus on those feelings of loss and grief and dealing with that. But for many people, it ends up being about finances and um, material things and family, you know, and then with with all of that, there becomes family drama for many families and, you know, arguing over finances and items and things like that. So I think that's really going back to talking about having a death plan and um, setting your family members up the best they can be set up is really helpful and just for people to know their options um and that there are more cost effective options um that can still honor your family member in in an honorable meaningful way is important
1: yeah absolutely thank you so much lauren for speaking to that from your personal experience i think you're absolutely right that that is the most painful time in someone's life to uh, be grieving uh, a loved one. And um, that added stress can really, really add up. Um, So I think um, maybe I'm repeating myself a little bit, but I do want to say that, you know, natural burial can be a much more cost effective option for people some options within the natural burial space are free like body donation all you have to pay for is the transportation costs um you may have some fees associated with purchasing a shroud or paying for a plot in a cemetery um and you would need to pay for dry ice with a home funeral so there are costs and all of those things transportation etc. They do have environmental impacts, but they are considerably less than the cost of the average funeral being $10,000 um, and are much less of an impact environmentally as well. Um, I think probably the most resource-intensive option of the more natural options would be Probably be aquamation because it requires four gallons of lye and 300 gallons of water per aquamation session. And that does create water and bone byproducts, kind of similar to how a cremation would create bone byproducts that are then um, crushed into the cremains that you receive at the end. And um, those similarly, the aquamation process, you then basically get cremains at, at the end that you can um, choose to put in a biodegradable urn with amendments or in a coral reef. McDuff talks about those options where you could do, you know, put them in an urn and keep it in your home if you would prefer to do that. Uh, but the water, I want to mention, too, there are treatments that then have to be done to that water as well, and there are um, production costs for producing or creating the machine that is required to do aquamation. So I'm not saying that it's a bad process, but I do think it's important, um, as we've been saying throughout the conversation, to to talk about um, and be Be informed. Yeah, be informed. But overall, um, I think all of this is part of something that Caitlin Doty has coined called the death positive movement.
0: What's that?
1: Yeah, so I think generally speaking, the death positive movement, like we're kind of part of that right now in our conversation. Having... Open and honest conversations about death and what we want um, to have happen and um, to be sensitive to that. It also ties in very nicely with what we were talking about earlier around home burials and the rise uh, or the resurgence of um, home funerals. Yeah. And,
0: and going off of that, I wanted to, I want us to circle back and talk a bit more about spirituality. Um, and obviously this, you know, we're a multi-faith organization, so um, everyone's traditions are different. But I'm wondering, you know, how how can the way we handle the bodies of those who die influence the climate and deepen our spiritual connection to the earth?
1: Yeah, I think that's a wonderful question, Lauren. And for me, it really goes back to something I was saying earlier in the conversation about ritual and participation. Um, In my research, I have looked at several different traditions, um, and each of them have highlighted for me a theme around ritual, um, whether that's ritual in the actual burial process or that's ritual in honoring ancestors uh after the fact uh you know in in the years following someone's burial um buddhism for example has two holidays obon and ohigan that are celebrated in japan and they're specifically honoring ancestors there's also a an excellent resource in Tricycle, which is a Buddhist magazine that has a series on non-attachment and hospice. They did a really cool article on creating a new American Buddhist funeral, which really ties into many of the themes around home funerals that we've been talking about. And then um, I think that it's really interesting to think about jewish traditions that um emphasize the use of bottomless faults which i talked about earlier but also this idea of accompanying the dead i think that there's a lot of beautiful ritual um built into that concept which really aligns very well with the rituals of cleaning the body of preparing the body for burial um Accompanying the body to the burial site and then, um, helping to fill the grave and then also honoring, um, that person's death on the year anniversary, which is called yacht Um, and so again, I think that ritual of recognizing, um, that we are part of a greater whole and for me, that appears in my Christian tradition on Ash Wednesday. It also appears in um, All Saints Day, in honoring those who have gone before, and um, yeah, I that's kind of um, one of the things for me that motivates me. I got into the natural burial. Ideas or like got interested in this when I um, was in high school and I um, was watching a, a documentary called A Will for the Woods, which features the end of life wishes of Clark Wang. Who, funnily enough, I happened to know the family of Clark, and Clark specifically wanted a natural burial, and that was the first time that I. Had been introduced to the idea, and I was also building for myself an environmental ethic and a will for the woods. Doesn't really have like Clark's identity. He didn't really have a religious identity per se, and I think that that again emphasizes that natural burial um, or burial in general doesn't really have to be a specific. Um, religion or spirituality, but that there can be beautiful ritual and familial participation honoring ancestors through an environmental ethic that also honors the land. Yeah,
0: I love that. And I think,
1: you know, I, I
0: just think that's beautiful. And I think that You know, as I mentioned earlier, at least with my faith tradition, I don't want to speak for all, obviously, but this this stress that comes about um, when planning like a more uh, conventional funeral is, you know, a lot of times focused on the material aspects, like I mentioned, like, you know, having a really nice casket, having a, you know, you know, burying someone in a very like nice cemetery and all of those more material elements. And I think that that can sometimes not only cause like financial stress for families, but also distract from the point of, you know, honoring honoring someone's um, life in in a way that is, is truly meaningful and focuses a bit less on the material um, aspects. And with that, you know, I want to know, you've shared so much information with us today, Katie. So thank you so much. I know that there's tons more that we could talk about, but in the interest of time, um, for folks who are interested in learning more about this topic, how can, how can they stay involved?
1: Yeah, there definitely is more. To explore with the topic, to I think reflect on for oneself. And I would say too that it's an evolving space. So I, we could keep talking about this, I think, for much longer, but definitely in the interest of time, I would encourage you to read and follow the authors that I cited. I tried to do my best to, um, cite them appropriately and we'll put them in the description um below so you can check them out as well watch um caitlin's youtube channel follow the deathwives on instagram um and use those as resources those are just some of the resources that i've found in this research and um hearkening back to something that you just said, Lauren, you know, I come from a particular faith tradition and I definitely don't want to speak for, um, the, the faith traditions that I mentioned. Um, I think there, what I love is that I'm seeing themes between, um, these different faith traditions and, and I only mentioned a few, um, but that there is a really beautiful, There's diversity in the faith traditions and how we honor and ritualize death, but that also death is something that we all experience and we all um, can practice or honor in, in a variety of different ways. And so I think with that in mind, it's important to reflect on what your own religious or spiritual tradition teaches you about death. And to investigate your values, and to use that self-reflection to ponder what it is that you want for yourself and what you might um, want to encourage for your community, um, and, and to use that to make your death plan. Um, and not only make your death plan... But make it a living document. Make it something that is an ongoing conversation that you're having in your community and is something that can evolve over time as you evolve over time and your values or your uh, situation changes and as things within the larger system change. I think there are some really interesting developments happening right now and some potential opportunities to advocate with uh, legislators that are developing. One that comes to mind is that the Illinois Environmental Council actually recently published a blog where they visited the Aquamation uh, facility located in Illinois, and they wrote about it. And the blog is called Leaving a Sustainable Legacy for Generations to Come When We Die. They also talk about human composting in that blog and how that isn't currently legal in Illinois, but IEC as an environmental advocacy organization uh, within Illinois uh, definitely helps to set the uh, priorities that the state has or that advocates have around environmental issues. So. If you're interested in getting involved that way, that's definitely something to follow as well. Um, But again, I think I want to end by saying a big um, thank you for listening and yeah, go do the work. You know, it's it's a hard process, but it's an ongoing one that can be really beautiful and Incredibly meaningful for yourself and for the people around you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Katie, for sharing today. And thank you to our listeners for having an open mind and, and tuning in. So we
1: appreciate you and we'll see you soon. This podcast is a creation of Faith in Place, a multi faith environmental justice nonprofit based in Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. We are the proud affiliate of Interfaith Power and Light, and we are on a mission to empower people of all faiths and spiritualities to be leaders in caring for the earth, providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. This week's episode was produced by Brogan Malloy. Your hosts are Katie Maxwell and Lauren Paris. Our theme song is Sweet Talk by Tyra Chatney. Please rate, review, or share this podcast with someone who might enjoy it. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you enjoy this podcast, please support the work of Faith in Place by donating. Please go to faithinplace.org forward slash donate. Your support means we can empower more youth, engage with more green teams, and advocate for better climate policies that put people and the planet first. And please follow our social media pages on Twitter at voices underscore of underscore earth and on Instagram at voices of earth podcast. Thanks for listening.